Hey everyone, what a joy to speak to you today. If you've been around for the past few weeks, you may notice a theme with some of the talks we've been having here at HTBB. Two weeks ago, Jacinta preached about the life of Joseph and how God has a good plan for us. And that means that we can live a life of purpose. Pastor Benny spoke last week about how God is in control. The battle is the Lord's and that means we can live a life of surrender. And today I want to talk to you about how God wants to give us a life where we can live this life of no regrets. I recently came across a brilliant Reddit thread with the title, Instant Regret. And here are some of the posts. This one says, try taking a picture posing with birds. Instant regret. This one says, try taking a picture posing with monkeys. We already know that's a terrible idea. Instant regret. I love this one. A guy who thought mixing a glass of milk with Pepsi was a good idea and had this moment immortalized. Instant regret. And this, the caption simply says, Doggo's realization. A dog who walks on glass and oops, realizes it's a pool. In her book, The Top 5 Regrets of the Dying, Bronnie, a palliative care nurse, records the most common regrets people have on their last days of life. There are five of them. The first one is, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expect of me. The second one is, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Thirdly, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And number five, I wish I had let myself be happier. So here's a question. How would you measure your life? Between what you look forward to and what you fear losing the most lies what is truly important in life. On Jesus' last day before his death, with the shadow of crucifixion looming over him, he gave his disciples a memorable lesson demonstrated through a shocking act of love. And then he said these words, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. What did Jesus do that was so important that he timed it in the last few hours of his life. And then he said to his disciples, yours will be a life of no regrets, a life that is blessed and full if you follow my example. My talk today is about that moment when Jesus washed his disciples' feet and how we can ask three questions of ourselves to live a life of no regrets. So let's read from John 13 verse 1. It says this in John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Uh, this is a Jewish holiday remembering the liberation of the Hebrew people, uh, the exodus from slavery. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let me just pause here and say, everything from the rest of this talk starts from this point. You are loved. Jesus loves you. And the Creator who knows you completely loves you unconditionally. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? 
Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. I, uh, bien la, bien la, paise la. Don't need to wash my feet la. That's the new international Hokkien version. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. This was him essentially saying, this, this moment is not about your salvation. That is secure and once and for all. This is about your need for daily repentance and cleansing. Because for those who have received Christ as Lord, their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone was clean. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us and for your example. So speak to us right now through your word, we pray. Amen. How do we live a life of no regrets? This story that we just read a moment ago of Jesus washing his disciples' feet challenges with three questions. Firstly, will you have your feet washed by Jesus? Secondly, will you have your feet washed by others? And thirdly, will you wash the feet of others? The first question that confronts us is, will you have your feet washed by Jesus? You know, the context of the first century Middle Eastern world was a world in which it was common for people to wear sandals or to go barefoot on rough, muddy and dirty terrain. Most roads were not paved. Most travelers walked on foot. And so foot washing was a practical activity that was necessary, but with a social dimension. Ancient historians record for us that the practice of foot washing was usually considered a woman's task, often assigned as a chore of female slaves. It was considered one of the lowest works for a servant to perform. Interestingly, ancient Romans believed that they could only appro approach their gods if they were fully cleansed, and so foot washing was a ritual before sacrificial offerings were made. And so when Jesus, the most senior person in the room, the teacher of all his disciples, rose up from that meal and in verse 4, took off his outer clothing, his robe, and wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, he was doing something immensely significant and symbolic, breaking social norms, breaking all the things that people considered usual, even offending normal Jewish sensibilities. It'd be like a boss saying to an intern, uh, hold on cameraman, uh, let the intern sit in the middle, I'm just going to hop to the back um, and I'll stand at the back of this photo. Or it'd be like in a Chinese wedding tea ceremony where the parents say to their children, hold on, hold on, take this seat, I will serve you tea instead. It was so provocative that it could have only been one of the most important lessons Jesus had saved for his closest friends up till this moment. But Jesus wasn't just being provocative, he was being demonstrative. When he got up from that seat and bent down to wash the feet, he was crossing a distance. When he took off the rope of his authority and put on the servant's towel, he was crossing the distance of hierarchy. When he took off and, and took that lowest position by doing a servant's job, he was crossing the distance of power and envy. When he washed the dirty feet of his disciples, he was crossing the distance between our sinfulness and God's righteousness. And verse 1 tells us why he crossed that distance. 
It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. God wants you to know today that he loves you. And here at this moment, the depth of God's love and the dirt of our sin are both revealed when the Savior took the posture of a servant. The God of all majesty, who at a word created the universe, who turned dust into man, whose breath gives life to lifelessness, who knows the end from the beginning, who comes to us taking the form of a servant. This God cleanses us from the things that are hidden and shameful. I have a friend whose name is John and he has an amazing family story about how God cleanses us and crosses the distance for us. John's father is a pastor, but he didn't used to be one. In fact, for 10 years in his youth, John's father was a drug addict, starting with ganja first and then moving on to harder drugs like heroin. For years, he stole from his employers, cheated others and lied to sustain his addiction. Then one day he was caught by his boss. And then he left home and went on to, to live on the streets of Bukit Bintang, just right outside here, slipping underneath the stairs, escaping the police, being beaten up in the lockups all the time. Then one day, John's father met an old friend who used to do drugs with him. And what used to be his fellow drug addict looked completely different and sober. And it turned out that his friend had uh, been taken to church and the Lord had set him free from his addictions. And then he said to John's friend, come with me to church. Jesus can cleanse you. Jesus can free you. But like Peter who said, you shall not wash my feet. For many months, John's father turned him down until he landed in prison again. Finally, at the highest point of desperation, John's dad relented and went with his friend to church. And there he prayed a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I am helpless. Please help me. That day, he walked out of church a different person, completely free from his desire for, for drugs, completely transformed. He's been clean ever since, 40 over years later. And he had a new fire in his belly, a new mission for his life. Within his first month of uh, becoming a Christian, he read the New Testament twice. He walked for hours to attend prayer meetings. And that was the beginning of a life of service. And in the years to come, John's dad would go on to Bible school, would work in a drug, rehab center, would join seminary, and then become a pastor to help others like him. This would be the family story that John would grow up listening about, a story about the cleansing power of Jesus that overcomes addictions. But later on, in his own life story, John himself would experience that same power and cleansing. And today he, he testifies about how this same power gave him strength to overcome a porn addiction. Only Jesus can cleanse us from sin. Only Jesus can draw us into relationship with the Father. And this is why he said in verse 8, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You see, only God can cleanse us from the dirt of our sin. Yet, it would cost him everything to cross the distance between the sin of humanity and the righteousness of God. It was the writer of Hebrews who says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And today, you can know that God, who knows you completely, loves you unconditionally. And He meets you at a place of undeservedness. But here too, there is a choice. Do we allow Jesus to cleanse us, to come near to that which we are ashamed of, and to wash the parts of us that need cleansing? In verse 2, we read, When the evening meal was in progress, He got up from the meal, 
took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Actually, you know, this itself tells us how much he loved his disciples. What would make a Malaysian stop eating in the middle of his meal? When he gets up to refill his plate. Through the ages, Christians have tried to remember and reenact this powerful story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And whilst we don't practice this as a ritual here in this church, we can appreciate it as an object lesson about who God is. So can I invite a very kind and sporting Asher uh, to come join me here, uh, to join me in a little demonstration of what this moment might have looked like. Let's give it up for Asher. Uh, let's thank him on the comments uh, in the chat. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, every moment in this story was both a practical act of love and a symbolic act of a greater truth about Jesus. In fact, Jesus' entire ministry was symbolized through the movements that he made at this meal. It says in verse four, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, why did Jesus take off his outer clothing? Scholars would note that this outer clothing was a robe that signified Jesus' authority as Lord and King. In Philippians 2, it says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. On the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, the high priest would remove his outer garment and enter into the Holy of Holies, taking the iniquity of the people with him for the forgiveness of the people's sin. Jesus gave up his glory to save us. And taking off his robe, he would then put on the towel of a servant. In verse 5, we read that after putting on the towel around him, he would pour water into the basin and begin to wash his disciples' feet. So Asher, thank you for wearing clean socks today for this illustration. You know, Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet. And if you can imagine with me, he begins to go from disciple to disciple across the table. And he begins to wash their feet one by one. And as he washes their feet, Imagine the water becoming dirtier with the dirt that the disciples had brought in into the space. And imagine his towel getting dirtier and dirtier. Sorry, this is not very absorbent from Mr. DIY. Um, as he begins to dry and remove the dirt from the feet of his disciples, the water becomes dirtier, the towel becomes wetter and dirtier, but the feet become cleaner. This is the moment that we see three truths about who Jesus is. That he's the God who comes to us, who crosses the distance to meet us. He's the God who cleanses us like only God can. And thirdly, he's the God who generously loves us. The first two are things that only Jesus can do. But the third is what he calls us to emulate. He says, follow my example. Now, there is one more challenging question than even this first question. Because firstly, we are told to confront ourselves. Will you have your feet washed by Jesus? But secondly, this text challenges us with another question. Will you have your feet washed by others? See, this is perhaps more challenging than even the very idea of a loving God who washes our feet because Jesus is the God who comes to us and yet he's also the God who made us in his image to be his hands and his feet. 
In Genesis 1, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So we are his image bearers, not God, but like God. But being God's image bearers also means that not only am I an image bearer, it also means that others too are his image bearers. So when Jesus said, do as I have done for you, wash one another's feet, he was not only challenging us to a posture of generous giving, but also to a posture of gracious receiving. We're called to a life of radical generosity and humble vulnerability. You know, washing one another's feet means that sometimes I'm in the place of serving like Jesus, but at other times, I'm in the seat of vulnerability. And what this means is that sometimes we have to ask, will I be willing to have my feet washed by others as well? This is the seat of vulnerability. The seat where I ask others for help. The seat where I'm reliant on the grace and the goodness of other people. Because just as we're called to have our feet washed by Jesus, He also calls us to a community of mutual serving and receiving. A place where we're called to receive graciously as we give generously. But notice how the power dynamic has now shifted. And now I'm in the place of humility and vulnerability. I mean, I even feel a little bit embarrassed. It's quite cold, huh? This water. Um, but this is the place of receiving. And it's a place where I need to be willing to have what I tend to keep on the low and dark revealed to other people, to be shared in a vulnerable space. Thank you, Asha. You see, when Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples, there was a violent objection to this moment. Because just a moment ago, there was a great dispute between his disciples. We're told in Luke 22 that Jesus said to his disciples, the greatest of you would be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? But I am among you as the one who serves. And then Jesus did what they all didn't do at first, preferring one another, giving others the better place. Thank you, Asher. Let's thank Asher for his washing services today. I wonder if you've ever been offended or even embarrassed about receiving help. Maybe today you're wrestling with the idea of being in community or we're still receiving advice. To say yes to the first question, will you have your feet washed by Jesus, means we're also saying yes to the second question because being God's image bearers also means that others are His image bearers. You see, I carry the image of God, but so too do my colleagues, friends, and family, even the people I don't quite like. And the challenge of the second question is found in verse 14 and 15. You should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And implied within one another is a mutual relationship of giving and receiving. You see, we are not self-made, but God-appointed and community-built. God shapes this not in isolation, but in the community of belonging. And today you can take courage to be in the seat of vulnerability, to open up to someone about what you have kept away in a low and dark place, to practice the courage of getting help. Jesus was not afraid to ask for help. At the well, Jesus asked for water from the Samaritan woman. At Gethsemane, Jesus asked his disciples to join him in prayer 
at Calvary, Jesus asked for a drink. And in a society that glorifies self-reliance and one-upmanship, receiving from others can be a test of our humility and giving to others can be a test of our motives. You see, what may look good on the outside may be different on the inside. And sometimes our pride is tested more, not in moments of generous giving, but in moments of gracious receiving. And this is why Paul, in writing to Timothy, warned against our human tendencies to have the form of godliness, but to deny its power. The last time I learned this lesson that what may look a certain way on the outside may very well be different on the inside was when we were on a family holiday. Uh, it was evening time and Levi had just met his cousins uh, who were around his age. And I thought, you know, it was quite a hot day that day. So it would be really fun to have a water gun fight, a water fight outside. So we took off our shirts. We got the, buckled, the buckets filled. And then I asked Jacinta to kindly spray us with mosquito repellent. I said, please be generous with the spraying. There's a lot of mosquitoes around. And she doused us super generously with lots of mosquito repellent. And to my surprise, the repellent felt really refreshing. It was cool, almost alcoholic. The boys were tickled by the cool sensation they felt on their necks. But very quickly, that sensation turned into a burning fire. And then suddenly we realized like our, our arms and our necks were super red and really hot. And then one of the boys screamed in horror when he rubbed his eyes. They turned bloodshot red. And I ran to pick up the bottle again. And then I realized it wasn't mosquito repellent. It looked like it. It smelled like it, but in Chinese characters, it read deep heat muscle ache spray designed to increase blood circulation and provide targeted heat. You see, we don't really know what's inside our hearts until they are revealed by moments of giving and receiving. At the seat of service, love moves from being an idea to a practice. And in a community of mutual serving, love turns from being a form of godliness to a transformative power. So to loosen the grip of greed, learn to give generously. And to loosen the grip of pride, learn to receive graciously. In verse 8, Jesus answered Peter's protest saying, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless we serve each other, we have no real belonging. A life of meaning, a life of no regrets is found in the place of belonging. So will you have your feet washed by Jesus? Only a dependence on Jesus can cleanse you. Will you have your feet washed by others? Only a place of belonging can build you. And finally, the third question is, will you wash the feet of others? Only a life of contribution can fulfill you. The story is told of Mother Teresa, who in the 1950s founded a mission movement in Calcutta named the Missionaries of Charity. And its mission was to care for, in her words, uh, the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers, all those people who feel unwanted, unloved, uncared for throughout society. One day, a student by the name of Shane Claiborne, who interned with the mission, noticed that whenever they went into the chapel to pray, Mother Teresa would take off her shoes and walk inside. And as she took off her shoes, he would notice her severely deformed feet. And he wondered, why were they so deformed? Had she contracted, you know, leprosy? Then one of the nuns explained it to him. Every time people donated shoes to the home, there were just enough for everyone and she would wait for everyone to get a pair and she would take the worst pair of shoes for herself. And over the years, wearing the worst shoes deformed her feet. 
For the sake of serving others, Mother Teresa's feet were literally affected. Scripture says in Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. Mother Teresa's feet weren't necessarily physically beautiful, but her feet brought beauty wherever they went. Today, God is calling us to look down at our feet. When you walk towards the last, the lost and the least, to share the love of Jesus and to serve them as Jesus would, you're carrying something beautiful. Your feet are beautiful. Not beautiful in an aesthetic sense, not even beautiful in a smell sense, but beautiful in the beauty that they bring. Beautiful in what they carry along. Because those who carry the good news, who walk across the ugliness of the world to reach others, walk with beautiful feet. And now God makes beautiful the things in our lives that are ugly. And this is why Jesus said in verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And Jesus models the kind of love and generosity that would meet needs in the lowest and unlikeliest places, in the place of hard hearts and dirty feet. You see, serving others begins when we relinquish that best seat, when we choose to eat last, when we are first to face the dangers for others. It means we lead first from a floor of care before pushing past the ceiling of challenge. No one gets left behind. We never achieve excellence at the expense of loving others. To wash other feet is to do three things. To come close, to give dignity, and to get practical. Christian service is the ministry of presence, getting proximate with the need. It's the ministry of dignity, giving value to all people. It's the ministry of kindness. There's no act of service that is too low for a Christian to perform. And it inspires and brings healing. Over a month ago, I, I heard this amazing story of how God blesses us in the context of mutual serving. At HTBB, we were playing host to the Alpha Regional Gathering when we welcomed hundreds of pastors from around the region to receive training. And one of our staff, whose name is Pastor Martin, had a bad fall just a week before he was supposed to fly out here from Sabah. And it was a really bad fall. He had to be sent to the hospital in an ambulance and the doctors found that he had damaged his spine. And for six days, he couldn't stand. The x-ray showed a fractured spine and the doctors advised no travel, complete rest. But being stubborn and full of excitement about the week, Pastor Martin felt he really needed to be there. And so he mastered his strength, he boarded the flight, he made it for the week. And, and this wouldn't be good advice for everyone else, but Pastor Martin really just felt the kind of faith that he was going to be okay. During the week, he helped out in the hosting team, welcoming people, ushering them, giving them directions on how to get registered for the event. It was also one of the few jobs that required standing the most, which went directly against the doctor's orders. As he welcomed people that day, a delegate from India passed him by, and he didn't even know where to get registered. So Pastor Martin helped him out. He said, go this way, um, you'll pass this place, and you'll find uh, the registration table. And moments later, the man passed him again, and then he stopped in his tracks, looked at him, and before he could be stopped, he gave him a tight bear hug. And you know, Pastor Martin was filled with excruciating pain as the guy squeezed him tight. And then he realized the pain was completely gone. 
not a single sensation of discomfort. And he knew in his heart of hearts, he had been miraculously healed. When he got back to Sabah, the following Monday was his next checkup with the doctor. And the doctor was completely perplexed. No painkillers, no pain, just a beaming Pastor Martin, smiling widely, standing upright. And then the doctor looked at him for a long time, completely confused and with a wave of conviction, without even a prior conversation about his religions, without even knowing anything about Pastor Martin, the doctor said, it's been a long time since I've been to church. He knew he was looking at a miracle. When Pastor Martin was healed, he asked the man who hugged him, why did you do it? Did, did you know that God used your hug to heal my back? And the man said, you know, I hugged you because I felt an overwhelming sense of love for you. I couldn't help noticing how much you loved serving others, doing something so simple and so small. So I hugged you to say thank you. But God used a grateful hug as the vehicle for a supernatural healing. To have your feet washed by Jesus is to have your, your life transformed to be like Him. It's to carry a message of the good news of God's love for others and to live out and represent that love to others. To cross the distance of race, class, gender, and age to serve as Jesus does. And when we do this, we begin to live lives of no regrets and live every day in light of what is most important and eternal. So will you have your feet washed by Jesus? Will you have your feet washed by others? And will you wash the feet of others? We can only draw from a well that has been filled. And that's why we pray. Come Holy Spirit, fill us with your love. So let's wait right now, wherever you are. You may want to raise your hands in hopeful expectation about what God is doing right now in this moment. And we pray that simple prayer. Come Holy Spirit, we need you. We wait for you. I just sense that God today wants to minister to people who are on that seat of vulnerability. It takes a lot of humility to be in a place where you're relying on someone else. Uh, and I see a picture in my mind's eye, someone in the hospital receiving care. And uh, you've, you feel like you've been brought low from a place of usual ability. Maybe you even feel like a self-made person to a place of dependence. And it's a difficult, humbling place to be in. But this is what a community of mutual serving looks like. This is how Jesus washes your feet. And I want to pray for you that God will give you the courage and the humility to receive help, to, to be in a place where you're receiving graciously. I also feel um, that God really wants to minister to people who are in a place where they're serving faithfully, week in and week out. And every day, you're in a place of the small and humble things. You're washing feet. It doesn't look particularly prestigious. The world doesn't seem to celebrate it. But God wants you to know that when you wash the feet of other people, when you do that thing that no one else really wants to do, when you serve and help other people, when you come close and get proximate and practical, you're never more like Jesus than in that moment. And God wants to reveal something of His heart to you again, to show you how much He loves you because we can never draw from a well that hasn't been filled. 
So Jesus, we want to thank you for your love. We recognize that first and foremost, you are the one who cleanses us. And from that place of receiving your grace, we can go and wash the feet of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Just continue to request prayer if you like prayer. You know, the team is very happy to pray with you as we now go into the time of communion.